The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Our scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. If you would like to turn with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows... To his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come worship in your house. We ask that you be with us this morning and that your Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us to understand the words of the message that will be brought to us. Please help us to take these words and put it to use throughout our coming week that we may better serve you and be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our many sins, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are we for sound? All right, very good. Well, thank you, praise team. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, elders, uh, for leading us in worship and for opening this pulpit again to me this morning. Uh, As you are no doubt aware, Pastor Greg uh, is in North Carolina as we speak in his capacity as chaplain in the United States Navy. He is with the first responders and the victims and their families of the hurricane-ravaged areas of that state. So our prayers and our thoughts are with him this morning. Turn with me now as we think about this and we talk about this through the Word of God. Turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 where we are going to be reading and looking at the first two verses. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. This is a psalm written by Solomon. Most people don't know that Solomon wrote not only the wisdom literature, such as the book of Proverbs and much therein, but also psalms. And this is a psalm of Solomon, a song of ascents. We read the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord build the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, the Lord, gives to his beloved sleep. Let us ask God's blessing today. Our Heavenly Father, these words breathed out by your Spirit through Solomon reach our ears and our minds this morning. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to these words as your message to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. On Monday, September the 10th, Less than two weeks ago, I walked up a flight of stairs to the fourth floor of my office building where I work late in the morning. We had a meeting. And as I exited the stairwell and headed down the hall, there was commotion everywhere. And nobody was in the meeting room. I looked down at the end of the hall and there was a gathering... And someone said, Dr. Beardmore, there's no meeting. One of our fellow co-workers has had her house just burned down. Copy that. Later in the day, middle of the afternoon, it was my meeting now, on another floor. And as we began, an admin burst through the door. Everyone, Governor McMaster is on the television, and he has ordered a mandatory evacuation. Whereupon the president of the company stood up and said, Dr. Beardmore, the meeting's over, and all the leaders tore out of the room. Copy that. In the next 72 hours, I can only describe what happened in the low country as crazy. Florence, out at sea, took so many twists and turns, the meteorologist couldn't figure out where she was going to land. She made landfall around Wilmington, North Carolina, and promptly turned left, devastating a whole region. Despite all the advanced warning that modern technology could give and massive preparation, rain from Florence came down at historic levels. Whole counties have flooded. Whole regions are underwater as we speak. Whole towns were cut off. At least 32 deaths have occurred. And the estimated insurance losses are between $10 billion and $20 billion. Our own Pastor Greg is there now to minister to the first responders. And relief efforts will go on for months if not years, to come. I have a question for you this morning. What are we as Christians to do with that? What do we think about all that? How do we wrap our minds and heads around the last two weeks? Now, you know, we do not have, as Christians, the option of saying, I'm just not going to think about it. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. I don't deal with these things. My soul is right with the Lord, and I don't need to think about all these things. Brothers and sisters, we live in the real world. And God commands us to take every thought captive for Christ, doesn't he? Doesn't our Lord say, be transformed in the renewal of your minds? Don't think like the world. Think like God in his word in the kingdom of God. Well, how do we do that when we come to such an event? Now, we say that we believe the Bible. We say with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all the words of Scripture are spirit-inspired, spirit-breathed, and profitable for training, reproof, and correction in righteousness. In other words, this is where we go, first and foremost, to, to learn how to think about everything that happens in our lives, including 
Hurricane Florence. But where do we go? Where do you go in the Bible to plug the last two weeks in? And where do we go in the Bible to take what God has taught and plug it into our minds? Now, of course, the Bible gives answers to these issues all through Scripture. But I direct your attention today to two simple verses. What we have in Psalm 127 is what we will call an epitomizing text. It means that it gathers up in a very small space a vast amount of teaching and material found throughout the Bible. Where do we go in the Bible? To guide our thoughts when we see the limitations of human effort in the face of the uncertainty of life, we go to Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is a beautiful passage. It's beautiful because of its brevity. It is so short, you can read it in less than 15 seconds. It's beautiful because of its simplicity. It's so simple that even a child can understand what is taught here. And yet it is so deep and so profound that it will occupy the thoughts of wise men and women from now until eternity. Psalm 127 and verse 2. In the face of the uncertainty of life, what does God teach us? God teaches us four things from these verses that apply directly to what you and I have experienced in the last two weeks and what you and I will continue to experience for the rest of our lives. It teaches first the importance of human action. Do you see that in verse 1? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There is the need for human action in life. There is the importance of human action. There is the place in life for human agency. Now Solomon describes here universal human activity. And he describes it through the bookend kind of approach. On the one hand, he says there are those who build. On the other hand, he says there are those who watch. Now, right away, do you see the relevance of this to our subject this morning? Who are the builders? Picture on the TV people taking plywood and hammering it to their homes. You saw that? Maybe you did the same thing. People, picture people taking sand and pouring it into sandbags and placing it around areas that are vulnerable to flooding. There's the building. And then who are the watchmen? Well, the weather people on television, for one thing. There are the first responders. There are the police. There are the people who are doing the preparing for the hurricane. But you see... In fact, these two activities, building and watching, represent the whole of human activity in life. These actions encompass between them all activity that makes life possible. Let's talk about this. Building. What does building represent? Building represents what you start Building represents what grows. Building represents improving things. We talk about building bodies. Do we have any bodybuilders here today? Well, what are you building? You're building your health. People build houses, people build cities, people build civilizations. People build cultures. People build families. Are you building a family? Do we have anybody building a family here this morning? 
think we do. Some were up late last night, I understand. Is anyone here building a career? Yes, that's what young men and women do. People build their lives. And then after floods, there is the rebuilding. Think of the rebuilding that's going to be going on when the flood waters recede. This is the one end of human activity that all of us are engaged in right now. But then there's the other part. There is the watching. Now, what does watching represent? Watching represents preserving what is built. What happens when you build a house but you don't have a security system? And there are no locks on your house. That's not very smart, is it? No, when we build, we have to preserve. And we have to protect. And we have to guard. So there is guarding, preserving, and protecting what is built. Who are the people who do this? Well, there are the police. There are the firefighters. There is the military. There is, there is Dave English. There is Dave English and his team who are watching this building every Sunday as we speak. Do you know that whoever stands in this pulpit has two eyes on him at all times? Until I leave the building today, there will be a set of eyes on me at every point. We are watching what we are building. We are building the church. We are building the people of God. And there must be watching and protecting that. So there is building and there is safeguarding what is built. Now, what does this tell us about human activity? First of all, it tells us that human activity is valid. It's legit. It's valuable. It's important. It's essential. Now, I say this because Christianity is often criticized at this very point. Opponents of Christianity down through the ages have charged that the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty denies human responsibility and it undermines human activity and it makes human activity unnecessary. Now, what is the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty? Well, it's on every page of Scripture. One of the best places to read it is Ephesians 1.11, where Paul says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who works all things after the counsel of his own will. How many things does God work after his own counsel? How many things does God control? How many things in the universe does God manage? All things, the big things, the little things, and everything in between, God has it in his plan. That's God's sovereignty. How does our confession state it? God from all eternity did freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet... God is not the author of sin, nor does he do violence to the freedom of human agency or the will of his creatures. But rather, that will and that freedom is established. Now, that's the doctrine of God's sovereignty. What does that appear to teach? Human activity doesn't count for anything. If God's going to do it all, what good is human activity? Now, you'll notice Solomon specifically teaches the importance and the place and the value of human activity. Everything you do matters. Everything. But you will also notice that it teaches that human activity is limited. It teaches the validity and the limited nature of that activity. You will notice the very first word of this psalm. 
unless. With all of the builders building, there is an unless. With all of the watchmen's watching, there is an unless. Unless what? Unless something else happens, human activity will be in vain. You see, we humans are not independent. We are dependent on the living God even to breathe. We do not exist by our own power. We are God's creatures. Now, that means at least two things. First of all, it means we're finite. And by finite, that means that we are limited in our wisdom. We do not know all that we need to know to effectively build and to effectively watch. All we had to do to figure that out is to watch the weather report as Florence was approaching. They didn't have all the information. It could go this way. It could go that way. The model this. The European this. They didn't know. Why didn't they know? That's what, we're being, that's what they're being paid to know. Tell us where she's going. We can't, they say. Why not? You've got the machines. It's because they don't have all the information. They never will. Ever. The builder that built your house. Why did they put that there and that there? Don't they, didn't they know that we needed a plug there and an outlet there? Well, actually, no. If you've ever built a house, you realize that not even the builder knows everything. They can't. They forgot that... Well, they didn't know. Human beings are limited in their knowledge. We can't predict the weather. We can't predict how children will turn out. And we can't predict the future. But there's another aspect of being creatures, and that is that we are not powerful enough either. By being finite, we don't have the wisdom and we don't have the strength because we are weak when faced with the demands of life. We can prepare all we want, but we can't stop a hurricane from going where she wants and doing what she wants. And we're going to find out why in a minute. But of course, it's because of the Lord. So because of that, human activity is limited. And without this other element, our actions will be futile as Solomon says, they will be in vain. Human activity. Solomon teaches a second, God's activity. There is human agency, and then there is divine agency. There is what you and I do, and we must do, and there is what God does and will do. Do you see that? Let's read again. Unless the, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city and watches over our church this morning, those who watch, watch in vain. Before, during, and after all human action, there must be and will be God's action. In the activity of human life, there is always something else that is going on. There is God's plan. There is God's purpose. There is man building, according to this verse. But then there's also God building. There is man watching, according to this verse. But then there is also the Lord watching. Now, what does that teach? It teaches that God's action is very real. It teaches the reality of divine activity at every point. We can't see God act, but He does. It's invisible, but it's very real. Now, this the Bible teaches from beginning to end. But listen to this. Psalm 77 
has a very beautiful and interesting way of putting this. Psalm 77, if you want to turn there, and verses 10 and 11. Now, here's the context. Psalm 77 is talking about the Exodus. And it's talking about the, the deliverance of the children of Israel from Pharaoh and Egypt. And you remember that uh, historical event in the book of Exodus. The waters parting, Israel going through, the waters closing, Pharaoh's army defeated. And Psalm 77 is celebrating that event from God's point of view. It's telling what God did. God did this. God did that. God parted the sea. God saved Israel. God destroyed Pharaoh's army. And then in summary, in verse 19, the psalmist says this, to sum it all up. What have I said? He's saying, your way, O Lord, was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. God did it. Nobody saw it. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Lord, we saw the sea part. Where were you? Ah, my footprints. My footprints. They were there, but you didn't see them. Lord, we're in the wilderness. We see Moses. We've got an Aaron. Ah, no, says the Lord. I led you through Moses and through Aaron. Moses we see, Aaron we see, but the Lord led us and the Lord we do not see. This has very powerful relevance in human relationships as well. You'll remember that poignant passage in Genesis 50 at the end of Genesis where Joseph, you know, the boy with the coat of many colors who was sold into slavery by his brothers, left for dead, and then rose to the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. Then the family comes. Then his brothers come. Then they find out who Joseph really is. They're terrified. Now he's going to deliver. Now he's going to get us back. And at the end of Genesis, after Jacob, after Dad dies, they come to him again. Dad's dead. Now we're, we're toast. Now he's going to take it out on us. And you'll remember what Joseph said. He said, who am I? Am I God? Yes, you meant it for evil. You did. I saw what you did. And I know why you did it. You meant it for evil. Man's action. But God meant it for good. To bring many to Egypt, to save numerous peoples, and to bring about everything that you see this day. We see you, Joseph, and we see those 11 brothers. We saw what they did. We can see human action. Ah, Joseph says. But there was another acting all along, right along with it. God, His plan, and His purpose was good. And He brought about this wonderful result. God's invisible action, we read here, is very real. But I want you to see something else. In Psalm 127, in our verses, God's action is also absolutely necessary. Unless the Lord do this, it's all futile. Unless the Lord act, it's all in vain. God's action is necessary for human action to succeed. Now, no. Now, we've got to go further. It is indispensable for any human action at all 
Do you understand that this morning? It is God's overall plan that makes your plans possible in the first place. How did Jesus put it to his disciples? Without me, you can do nothing. Either you abide in me and I abide in you, or it ain't going to happen. Without me, you can do... Well, you, you can do this part. You can build your family, and then you can tack me on when they get to be college age. Without me, you can't do anything at all. You can't even breathe. It's God's overall plan. Nehemiah is a good place in the Bible to learn about this. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah, after praying to the Lord, Lord, give me strength to talk to the king. How am I going to ask the king for all the materials we're going to need to go build Jerusalem again? And how am I going to ask the king for permission to leave and go do it? So Nehemiah goes before the king as he normally does. He was the cupbearer, a position of trust. The king says, Nehemiah, you're not yourself today. What's up here, buddy? What's going on? Nehemiah says, I prayed quickly to my Lord, and then out it comes. This is what's troubling me. The cause of God is being harmed. I need to get there. And by the way, king, here's a list of all the materials I'm going to need. And do you know what the king said? You got it. Tell me where to sign. You got it. And the words of Nehemiah are very interesting. He says, And the king gave me my request, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The action of God is absolutely necessary for any plans of ours to succeed. It's necessary everywhere, and it's necessary for all time. It's necessary in culture, art, music, architecture, the trivial pursuits, the grand pursuits. It's all God or it won't happen. Political, social, and military activity. Either God blesses it or he doesn't. And if he is not behind it, it's not going to happen. Paul says this again in Acts chapter 17. You'll remember this. He's preaching to the philosophers of Athens, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind Life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Where did we come from? God. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. How come you were born in the United States of America? Well, my parents... Yes, there was human activity. There were your parents. But it was God's action that determined who your parents would be. That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet actually he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. What is missing from all of the systems that we see in our unbelieving world? God. God is missing again and again. Now, that's what Solomon teaches. Human activity and its importance. Divine activity, God's action, and its necessity. But what's the third thing Solomon teaches? He teaches us how they're related to each other. Do you see that? He teaches the relationship of Number one, human activity, to number two, divine activity. How are they related to each other? Well, Solomon tells us, first of all, you've got to have both. You've got to have both. Do you live in a house? Who built that house? Did God send an angel 
to build your house? No. Did God build your house himself with respect? No. God sent men and women to build that house. Does God send angels to lift small children off of the rooftop of their house in a flood-ravaged North Carolina Piedmont? No. Who does he send? He sends National Guardsmen, National Guards women, military, and people like Pastor Greg. He doesn't send angels. You've got to have both. Now, what happens when you have number two without number one? Remember what number two is. What's number two? God's action. What happens if you've got, you've got to have both. What happens if you've got God's action but not number one? Well, there are different words for that. One word would be fanaticism. I trust God to keep me healthy. All right, we got number two. But I don't believe in going to the doctor. What do you call that? I call that fanaticism. I believe in God keeping me healthy, but I don't believe in getting shots. You see how this relates? God's going to save me from a hurricane. But I'm not going to evacuate when they tell me to. If we want health, we've got to use medicine. If you want number two, you've got to use number one. If we pray for unbelievers, we must preach. You know, that's been a difficulty historically in what we call hyper-Calvinism. There have been those who have embraced the doctrines of grace historically, called Calvinism, but have said, well, God's going to choose the elect, so if he predestines who's going to be saved, we'll just wait and see who shows up for church. That's exact. That's what the early Baptist missionaries had to overcome. You know what they told William Carey in England when he went around trying to solicit support for missions in India? Young man, said one elder, young man, when God wants those Indians saved, he will be pleased to save them. That's what he said. That's number two without number one. But what happens if you have number one without number two? What's that called? We might call that human pride. We might call that humanism. We can build a country without God. We can defend our country without God. I can build a house. I can build a family. I can build a career without God. We call that arrogance. We call that humanism. We call that pride. Now, it's interesting. Ann and I were in Boston five days ago. And we were walking the Freedom Trail, seeing all the history, learning about all the history of our country. And it turned out that Tuesday was National Constitution Day. Didn't know that. And on the Boston Commons, there were law students passing out copies of the United States Constitution. Now, that's interesting, because what were those men doing? They were trying to build a country. Builders. And in this booklet, it begins with a section on observing the hand of providence. Now, providence was the circumlocution used for God by people in those days. When our founding fathers talk about providence with a capital P, they mean God. Well, what did they think about their building? Did you need both? George Washington. The federal constitution process should proceed with harmony and consent according to our actual wishes and expectations. Man's activity, we're working hard. And it will demonstrate visibly the finger of God. 
as any possible event in the course of human history ever could. Daniel Webster. Concerning my devotion to the Constitution, I regard it as the work of the purest patriots and wisest statesmen that ever existed. Human activity. Aided and guided by the smiles of a good God. It almost appears God's interposition on our behalf. That's not enough for you? Benjamin Franklin. I have so much faith in the general government of the world by God that I can hardly conceive a transaction of such momentous importance to the welfare of millions, namely the Constitution, that should be suffered to pass without being in some degree influenced, guided, and governed by the omnipotent, omnipresent, and good ruler, God. Did the founders of our country believe in humanism? The answer to that would be no. You've heard it. We need a constitution unlike has never been seen. But we need God to bless it. You need both. What else does it teach about the relationship of God's agency to man? Now notice, this psalm also teaches that God's agency is primary and man's agency is secondary. We've got God and we've got man, but who does most of it? Who starts and then who goes next? Are they equal? Oftentimes, the activity of God and man is pictured with this illustration. Maybe you've heard it. It's like being in a boat, and one oar is man's activity, and the other oar is God's activity, and there the building and the watching go on equally. That's not correct. That's a wrong illustration. It's not accurate. No, a more accurate illustration would be the father who's painting his house. And the little three-year-old boy comes up, Daddy, can I help paint the house? Sure. And so the father takes the paintbrush, puts the paintbrush in the three-year-old child's hand, holds the hand up to the wall, and holds that hand and they paint together. Now I ask you, who's painting that house? Well, the little boy comes in and mom asks him, well, did you paint the... Mom, I painted the house! Who painted the house? Well, they both did. But who did it most? Who was primary and who was secondary? That's how God and man are related. Now, Nehemiah again, Nehemiah chapter 4. You'll remember how they're building Jerusalem and they are opposed by those who would resist. Now listen to this. Nehemiah chapter 4 says, So we built the wall, human action, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Human motivation is important. God doesn't just build a wall by himself. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. Does this sound familiar? and to cause confusion in it. Well, Nehemiah, what are you going to do? Nehemiah believed what Solomon taught. Nehemiah had Psalm 127. And Psalm 127 taught him to do this, verse 9, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them 
day and night. Now, do you see how that works? Human agency, we set a guard. Divine agency, we pray to our God. Which one was first? What does the Word of God say? Every word is inspired. Did it say we set a guard and then, oh, yeah, yeah. And then we had a prayer meeting. No. First, we prayed to our God because we knew that unless the Lord watches the city, those who watch, watch in vain, and then we set a guard. God's primary, man's secondary. But there's more. This verse, back to 127, teaches us that God's agency is decisive and man's agency is responsive. Which action determines the result? God's or man? God's. God's action in history is decisive. And man responds to God and it succeeds when God says it succeeds. Now this is true in building and preserving, as we see here, unless the Lord builds the house. The Lord must build the house. Otherwise, it's going to be in vain. But it's also necessary in conversion. Who decides who will become a Christian and who will not become a Christian? Men or God? Listen to John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, human agency, I must receive, I must believe. He gave the right to be called children of God. But where did that receiving and believing come from? Who were born, born again, not of blood. It's not about race or anethesy. Yeah. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's true in planning. Listen, Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. I've got plans. We must plan. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Who decides whose plans stand and whose don't? The Lord. Now, you're not going to like the next one. How about football? You know, does the Bible have anything to say about football? It does. I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for one of these so-called Christian athletes after the game when they're making their statements to say anything resembling what the Bible says. Where would you go in the Bible to find the Bible's philosophy of sports? How about Proverbs 21.31? Proverbs 21.31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Huh? Preparation. Is God just going to give you the victory? No, no you've got to run laps. Coach, I believe in the Lord's sovereignty. You've got to run laps, kid. And you've you got to run the plays. We're going to have practice today. There must be practice. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to say that on national television. Coach, what happened out there today? How did you do it? To what do you attribute this victory? Well, we did this and we did that and we did... That's what we hear. I want to hear, we worked, we prepared, we knew what they were going to do. But you know, that when that ball bounced that way, that wasn't in the game plan. When the wind blew and, and the field goal went wide, that wasn't in the game plan. As a matter of fact, nothing that determines the outcome of a football game is in anybody's game plan except God's. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, man's agency, but who determines the victory? 
whether it's the battle or the football game. Victory comes from the Lord. And it's true in living the Christian life. How did Paul put it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Christian life, believer, depends on you. You and I have to go out there and we have to fight our own sin. We have to live the good life of faith. We have to persevere into the end. Who's going to do that? We've got to do that. But how are we going to do that? Work out your salvation, says Paul, with fear and trembling, for it is the Lord who works within you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Now, that's the teaching. If you believe that, what will be the result? If you don't believe that, what will be the result? Solomon's got that covered. Got that covered. Did you see it? Verse 2. Verse 2, Solomon says are the results. If you believe it and if you don't believe it. And there are a lot of people who don't believe what we just studied. So negatively, what are the results now of believing one and two? What if you don't believe it? What if you leave here today and say, "Is he? I didn't think he'd ever end. This guy's crazy. He'd go on until 1 o'clock if we let him. Thank goodness that's over. And that part about the human and God's... I don't understand a word of it. I'm just going to keep living. What if you go out of here like that today? Solomon says, I guarantee you one of four things is going to happen. And this will happen every single time. You can't avoid it. First, he says, if you don't believe this... In some, there will be no activity at all. Some will conclude after hearing this, what? I don't know what all that meant. But if God's in charge of everything, I don't have to do anything. It's all in vain. Didn't we just read that? It's in vain. It's useless. It's unless God... So I'm just going to live. I'm just going to live. And we have whole cultures who are living for today. Just living for play, living for the weekend. They don't believe a word of this. And it results in some in no activity at all. But in others, Solomon says, if you don't believe in this, it will result in frenzied activity. The opposite. The opposite pendulum swing is hyperactivity and frenzied activity. Look what he says. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What does that mean? It means if you do not believe these things, some of you are going to devote your lives to your careers and you're going to burn yourselves out. You're going to work 50 hours a week, and you're going to work 60 hours a week, and you're going to work 70 hours a week, and you're going to work that way for 40 years. And that's what people in our culture do. Hyperwork, work addiction, frenzied activity, rising up early, going late to bed. And then there will be anxiety. Eating the bread of anxious toil. On one road in Beverly Hills, California, and you know who lives there, there are over 200 psychiatrists. One road. Why are they there? These people, they've got everything. They've got everything you want. They got fame, they got wealth, they got fortune, they got popular. Why would they need a psychiatrist? Because they don't believe verse 1. That's why. And so they're anxious. Anxiety grips our culture. Why? Because people don't believe verse 1. And then there will be frustration, there will be failure, and there will be self-defeating activity Why don't things ever work out? 
Because Proverbs 21 and verse 30 says, There is no wisdom, there is no understanding, and there is no plan or counsel that can succeed against the Lord. And when we try to do all this building and watching without the Lord and without dependence on Him, we're going to get frustrated. It's not going to work. And our plans won't succeed. But what happens if you do believe it? Solomon has good news for us. If we do believe, verse 1, then what? First, there will be activity, and it will be strong activity. There will be confident activity. There will be hopeful activity and diligent activity. Do you see how he puts it? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor. There must be labor. Among Christians, there will be labor. The watchman will stay awake. There will be guarding. There will be protecting. Whenever these truths are believed in the history of Western civilization, inevitably human activity increases. Cities are built. Do you know where hospitals came from? Christianity. Do you know where the university system in the West came from? Christianity. Before Christianity, there were no two things. Do you know where schools come from? Christianity. Do you know where vibrant economies, do you know where the capitalist free market system comes from? It comes from the, the foundation, the seedbed of biblical Christianity. There will be activity. So when Pastor Greg goes to eastern North Carolina, he's doing that because he believes the Lord wants him to be there. And we pray for him, and we pray for the success of all those first responders and everything that they're doing, believing that God will bless their efforts. So we believe, says Paul, and so we speak, and so we act. There will be activity, and it will be strong activity. But notice Solomon says, if you believe this, there's going to be something else. Did you see this? He says that you're going to be able to sleep at night. Look at it. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Well, Solomon, is that it? Is that all you got for me? I, I believe this. What can I look forward to? Lord, what can I expect by way of blessing? I can expect that you'll energize me in activity. You'll give me hope. You'll give me diligence. But then it also says that he'll give sleep to his beloved. You'll be able to sleep at night. That anxiety that keeps everybody up all the time and that dominates people's lives, you'll be able to deal with that. You'll give, you'll have peace. You'll have peace. I raised a lot of children. It's possible to sleep at night. Maybe difficult at times, but you will be calm and you will have peace. God gives it to you. And then it teaches us that God gives success. If we watch and the Lord watches with us, what does Solomon say will happen? It'll work. If we build and we ask, Lord, help us build our church, help us build what we do here, help us build our family, help us build our lives, and we are trusting you, God says it will work. I'll build with, I will build it. I will do it. I'll guard. I'll build. We'll sleep. We'll act. And it will succeed. You see, if you believe all of this, it will lead to prayer, trusting in God, and it will lead to diligent work. And so the challenge that Solomon leaves us with today, whether we're recovering from Hurricane Florence or supporting those who do or building this or protecting that, 
Let us live in faith. Let us live in confidence. Let us live in peace. And let us live in hope. And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, these words are, are, are simple, and yet they're profound. Help us to understand them. Help us to apply them. Help us to believe them. Keep us from temptation to uh, not trust you. Keep us from the temptation to, to presume on you uh, that you'll bless, our, bless us without activity. Lord, help us. Help us to act. Help us to work it out. But as we work it out, Lord, work in us, both to will and to do, for your good pleasure, for Jesus' sake.